0: If you have your Bibles with you today, please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We are in our part four of a sermon series we've called Grace Anomics. Grace Anomics, Understanding God's Economy of Grace. Now, for those of you who will take economics one day or have had that, economics is simply the understanding of the production, the consumption, and then the transfer of goods. But we are called to be deeper than that. We're not just to be consumer of goods. We are now to be consumers of God's grace. So we spent the first week looking at just what the Bible says about giving and living for his honor. We said that here's what we see in God's word. One, that God owns everything which means I own nothing. You guys are sharp. I thank you for that. Okay, but we need to hear that, don't we? Because sometimes we say it because y'all need to hear it, right? But we need to say it because I need to hear it. So God owns everything. Josh owns nothing. And because he is in complete authority of my life, then the second biblical principle is, then I will be held account of what I am given He said, "Well, Pastor, I haven't been given much. You'll be held accountable for that." So, Pastor, I've been given a lot. I'm in trouble. You are. Use it for God's glory, and you will have treasures that cannot be taken away. In the second week, we looked at the God's economy of time that we are to redeem our time for His namesake. That God has not given me time to retire and waste. God has given me time to use for His glory and for His honor. How much time do I have today? How many hours? 24, how many hours do you have? So if I am wicked, I have how many hours? If I am righteous, how many hours do I have? May we redeem it. May we redeem it. Last week, we looked at our giving, how we are to give for the glory of God in our life. And God's word challenges us to be faithful and not just to be faithful to say finally, but that we say, Lord, make me abundantly fruitful in giving. So now we're going to look at, we're going to wrap up this series with the, so what? Why does it even matter? Why do we need four sermons in a row on giving and righteous living? And why, if it's true, why does it even matter? I'm glad you asked. Ephesians 2.8 today, that we would consume grace and be a people who desire God's grace to abound and transfer God's grace in our life. Um, I turned on TV this week and quickly turned it off um, with our election coverage, which disappoints me daily. Um, So before you get behind a candidate and say, this is God's man, I would just caution you to listen, to pray, and to say, God, forgive us. But this is what the people say. The people in the country you live in, we're part of that. No matter the morality that we see in America today, Here's the polling issues for 2016. The Pew voting poll says that number one is the economy. 84% of people matter and question and concerned about the economy. Number two is terrorism. Number three is foreign policy. And number four is healthcare. So no matter what is going on, no matter what was said 11 years ago, no matter what we see in our country, the morality that we find ourselves in, and by the way, we're a part of that, even with all of the struggle and the filth, number one on our list is still what? Economy, okay? The Gallup poll polled the same, well, different voters, same question. Number one on the Gallup poll, issues for this year's election. Can you guess what it might be? The economy. Number two, dissatisfaction with government. Number three, unemployment. Number four, election reform. and I begin to pray over this and say, God, what would our nation and our neighborhoods and our community look like if we lived a life where we lived and then we give for God's glory? And my neighbor saw that. So when we ask, why does it matter? Really the question we need to ask is, God, is my life radically shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if so, then will that change the world?" The answer is yes, it will. So my question is then, have you been changed by Jesus Christ? And you say, well, pastor, I was here all three weeks and this is the fourth week on giving and preaching and and teaching on tithing and giving and living for service. Why do you do it so much? Well, first I would say because Jesus teaches, 15% of the time, Jesus teaches on money. Two, because I care about your soul. Because the Bible says very clearly, where my treasure is, there my heart is also. And the reality this morning is this. Some of you have your treasure where Jesus is. Some of us have our treasure where Jesus is not. So I want to to tell you this morning that I love you enough to say, if your treasure is something else, ounce other than Jesus Christ, I love you enough, and I'm going to pray for that God would radically save your soul this morning. And here's the verse. This is not a normal living and giving for Jesus verse. Here's the verse that we see in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace, Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved. It is not of works, it is a gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast. Now we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, truly it is by grace that I have been saved. Although we have already said as a body that Father, we own nothing, but Lord, there are days where we believe otherwise. Lord, we know that your word says it's by grace alone, through faith alone that we find salvation. But Father, if we're honest, there are days that we live otherwise. So Lord, right now, we dedicate to you, Father, if our heart is anywhere else other than in the cross of Jesus Christ, in the death and the resurrection that gives us life, Father, change our heart. And Lord, if our treasure is somewhere else, Lord, may we put it in the right place. Father, challenge us that we may not be content to do life as we think it should, but that we would peer into your holy word and that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ would radically shape how we live in our communities, how we give to your kingdom and how we share our faith. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Grace and how the gospel changes my world. We're going to begin there. How does grace change my world? Let's look back at verse 8. Jesus, speaking in his word, through his word, says this verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is by grace we have been saved through faith and not of yourself. So this is what God's word teaches us then. We're gonna look at the production, the consumption, and the transfer of grace in your world. When it comes to grace, what do you produce? When it comes to your salvation, and let's, let's think about this because if you've grown up in the South and many of you have, we've been trained to think that you're a good person most of you have grown up in church or you've driven by a church for most of your life right and and if we're honest even when we drive by church we, we think hey I'm in the south we're good moral people I didn't rob anyone today I didn't kill anyone I drove by a church and God's gracious kind of jumped in the window as I drove by we don't say that but we think it sometimes don't we so in God's economy of grace, what do you produce? And concerning my salvation, what have I produced? What have I done to earn my salvation? Nothing. Let's say that again. What have we done to earn our salvation? Nothing. And that is freeing to hear. That is free to you. It is by grace you have been saved. So why does it matter? Because God's grace radically reshapes our world. Actually, in verse 8, it is not by God's grace. There's an article in the Greek that says, for by the grace of God, you have been saved. For by the grace of God, we must remind ourselves of this constantly. Because the truth is, you did not take the first second or third step to go to Jesus Christ. And I did not either. The truth is, is when I was a sinner, he proved his love for me that he was born of a virgin in this world, that he went to the cross, he died on the cross, he was buried, and three days later, he rose again. And what part did I have in that? Nothing but sin. God's grace is produced by him alone and works itself out in our life. We must quit thinking that we produce our salvation or anything about our salvation. We must quit thinking that we produce anything about our salvation. Church people, are you listening, right? Because sometimes we know it is by grace alone I've been saved, and 10 years later we think, man, look what I've done for the kingdom. As if I can do anything. And so why do we not live sacrificially? Because we think we have merit. Why do we not give sacrificially? Because I think I produced it. And God says, oh, Josh, don't you realize, don't you remember that you produce nothing? I think of it in this way. For Mother's Day, and my our kids are getting old enough where they can help pick out gifts for us. For Mother's Day, I took our baby and our four-year-old to the store to pick out my wife's Casey's Mother's Day gift. So I took him around the store and we, we produced gifts for mom. And of course, in the basket, there's a lot of candy. And it was candy that Eli liked, right? Like, son, you're gonna pick out gifts for mommy. She would really love gummy bears. Well, I don't know if she would, but we'll get those. She, she would like some sunglasses and he got the most gaudy, bright sunglasses he could find. And so it, it was neat for us to just go around picking out gifts for mom. And it was a heartwarming experience. Now, it would be foolish, though, for Eli to say, Mom, look at all the hard work I've worked for. I pay for this myself. Here it is. Look what I produced for you, Mom. What did my children do to produce those gifts for Mom? They didn't work a penny, right? Who's, who's checking account did that come out of? Moms, right? It came out of moms. And some of you have been in that, right? Your kids will give you gifts. and You're like, I already know what it is because I saw the checkbook. But it would be foolish for my kid to say, mommy, look what I worked so hard and I earned this money for you. No, you didn't, son. But thank you anyway. But how foolish more is it for us to, to, to do the same thing with God? To say, God Look what I've done for you. And he says, no, my son died to earn that. You did not earn anything. God produces grace on our behalf. And that is a concept we need to meditate on constantly. Grace, Harry Ironside said this, grace is the opposite of merit. Grace is not understood favor. It's not only undeserved favor, but it is favor shown to the one who has deserved the very opposite. For my wife's Mother's Day gifts, there was no merit earned by her kids, but they still could show their love because mom gave them grace to get the gifts that they gave in return. And that is a concept of our giving and living for Jesus Christ. Jesus, you died on the cross for me that I may now live to serve you. Jesus, here is my gift in return. I do not deserve it. I have not earned anything about it, but here it is. God produces grace in our life. Give and live to show the world that God produces grace. May we give and live in a way that shows the world he produces grace. How does God's grace change my life? He produced it. So how do we consume God's grace then? Graceonomics. How do we consume this? Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. It is a gift. What do we do with gifts? You receive them, and then what do you do? Ashton and I, he's gonna go on the trip with me. I don't think he realizes what he's getting into right here. And I give Ashton, if I say it, I'm gonna have to do it. I'm gonna give you a gift. I'll find what it is. I'm gonna wrap it really nice this weekend and give it to you. It's probably gonna be sheetrock tape that you can use. 2,000 feet, that's my gift for you. I bought it already. And I give him a a beautiful gift. I wrap it nicely. What do we expect him to do with that gift? To not only receive it, but then to do what? To open it, to use it. God's grace is the same way. Not only does God produce grace in our life, but he expects us, if it is his gift, to receive it. And the reality is there are people right now in this place, this morning, that have not received the gift of eternal life. If you have not received it, what are you waiting for? It is, it is offered to you. And may we be people who live to consume God's grace. We live in a consumer society. I remember, was it 10 years ago now that we had the great stimulus package? And I believe we received a couple hundred dollars, all the taxpayers. I don't remember how much it was now. I mean, it made such an impact on my life. Um, I'm thankful for it. Don't get me wrong, I, I was thankful. But I remember receiving the letter and the check in the mail for both Casey and I, and I remember on the news they said, look, we're going to give you money for the stimulus package, and here's what we want you to do with it. We want you to spend it. Like, no, it's my money, right? I, I can do with it what I want. But what, what is the understanding then of the economy and the world that we live in? We live in a consumer world, and we, we consume so much that many of you know by heart Slogans of certain companies. I'm about to prove that. If you know the company, give it to me. Just do it. Nike, good job. Think different. Eric, are you awake? Eric gives me thumbs up. IBM, right? I think maybe Apple too. I don't know which one it is. It's a a software company. Um, Because you're worth it. L'Oreal, very good. I was waiting to see what guy I was going to shout that out first. <laughs> Good job, man. Have it your way. Burger King melts in your mouth, not in your hands. M and M's. There was some enthusiasm. Good job. Uh, bet you can't eat just one. Potato chips, Lay's. That's right. And something about the salt. There'll be moments where I walk in the grocery store I crave potato chips. Um, Maybe it's that slogan. I'm loving it. McDonald's. McDonald's. Very good. What does this say about our lives? It says that we live in a consumer society. Many of you know that by heart. We did not practice this. I did not stage people randomly that knew the answers. Why? Because we live in a consumer society. We are not afraid to consume the world's goods, but we are often afraid to consume, to ingest, and to freely drink of God's grace. And if we are to live out God's grace in our life, we need to consume God's grace. That's what God's word teaches us. Listen to these these verses about consumption. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I think God's saying, you know those things that melt in your mouth but not in your hands? You know that place that says, have it your way? You know the place that says, I'm loving it? Those tastes don't compare to the taste that you have in Jesus Christ. John, Jesus says, if you thirst, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you thirst, let him come to me and drink. Consumption. 1 Corinthians 12, we were all made to drink. Of one spirit. And there's verses over and over again that God says, Come and drink, come and eat. I will make a cup for you that is overflowing. Psalm 23, I will prepare a table for you in the midst of your enemies. God says, Consume grace. If you are a follower of me, come to me, consume grace. C.J. Mahaney says this Do not buy the lie that cultivating condemnation and wallowing in your shame is somehow pleasing to God, or that a constant low-grade guilt will somehow promote holiness and spiritual maturity. It is just the opposite. It is only when we receive his free gift of grace. It is only when we receive his free gift of grace and live in the good of total forgiveness that we are able to turn from our old sinful ways and walk in grace-motivated grace motivated obedience. There is no benefit from wallowing in our shame in this world. We must be people who say, I have been forgiven, and I will consume God's grace. That God says, taste and see. Lord, let me taste. Let me eat. God says, if you are thirsty, come and drink. Let me drink. And we must be people who tell the world, you consume goods. I will show you how to consume grace. Father, help us. First Timothy says, and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I believe that is God's way of saying, if you come to my table, you can eat until you are full and you will never run out. God produces grace that we may consume it. And may we not be scared to consume God's grace. May we get up every morning and say, God, I need you, let me feast. Let me drink and let my neighbors see it. God, help us consume grace. God produces, we consume, and then verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. For we are God's workmanship created for good works. Now the word workmanship, the word created means that God makes you um, habitable as if God says before me you nothing can live inside of you because you are filthy because you are dirty and I will clean you up I will make you habitable not only for my spirit but also for others we are his workmanship why are we created then why do we consume God's grace this is important because if we if we're not careful we end here we say well Lord you have given me grace and pastor said I can eat so make me fat if we're not careful, we will Bible study ourselves to death and we will go in the world as fat Christians. We will leave here and say, Lord, look how much I've eaten for you. And God says, but pastor, you didn't read verse 10. That you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're created to transfer grace. That God does not come to you because it ends with you. God comes to me because God is working through me now. And why would God create me for good works? We know in Matthew, verse 16 of chapter 5, that Jesus says, what about our good works? Live in a way that they will see your good works, and that the world will then glorify, not you, not me, but we will glorify your Father in heaven. So see what Jesus is saying here? He produces grace that we might be saved that we might consume and that we transfer grace, that the world might see our good works and find the grace of Jesus Christ. That is grace omics at work. God's grace comes down, I am saved, I eat continually and I show the world that he is gracious and merciful. And if I do not live in a way that they see, if I do not give in a way that they see, they will not understand God's grace. And if they do, it will be in spite of me, not because of me. I like the image of a tanker truck. We had a fuel shortage recently. Um, I've been through several hurricanes and I've experienced a fuel shortage. We didn't have much of one here, thankfully. But here's what I I think about us as a conduit of God's grace. Think about a tanker driver that's driving the gas truck, the tanker truck to the station and filling up the station. How does and we have some in our church and and thank God that they um, do that. That is a much needed career, by the way. I'm thankful and I pray for our truck drivers. They are on the road a lot, and those roads are not the best place. But what does the truck driver need to drive the tanker truck to the gas station to fill up the fuel stations? The truck driver is driving a tank full of fuel, but what does he need to drive the tank full of fuel? He needs fuel. That's how it is with God's grace. God, let me carry grace to others. But Lord, I can't carry it if I don't have fuel and my fuel is your grace. Are you transferring God's grace in your life? C.H. Spurgeon once was asked this question. Will the heathen, what will happen to the heathen who has not heard the gospel? Will he be saved? And here's the answer. He says, this is more of a question with me rather than we who have the gospel and fail to give it to those who have not, can they be saved? Spurgeon had students that said, what happens to the person in Antarctica who's never heard the gospel? And Spurgeon looks at them and says, what happens to the person who has the gospel and does not share it? Worry about their soul. Because I know this about God's grace. Grace if I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if I have thirsted and found quenching water in Jesus Christ, if I have freely drinking of his spirit, I have no right to hoard it and to hold it to myself. God's grace, his economy, he produces grace that we would consume May the world see and see us transfer it to others. So I ask you, who have you shared God's grace to this week? Who are you praying for? Who are you hitting your knees and saying, God, save them. God, send someone to share the message. And God's answer is, I am, it's you. Who are we saying, Lord, radically change their life because I know that you've changed mine. Have you experienced his grace? Are you consuming it? Are you living it out? Well, then our question is not, God, how can you change my world?" Our question then is, if I am called to live and to give in a way that honors Christ, then how does Christ change the world? So we know how he changes my world. Now, how does Jesus change the world? I'm glad you asked. 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy, still in the New Testament. Chapter 6, and we say, well, Lord, why does it matter? God, why does my living and my giving and my serving make a difference? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Paul says, Now godliness with contentment. And I have this circled, underlined, and highlighted in my Bible. If you need proof, it's in pink. Godliness with contentment. Contentment is great gain. We have brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Americans, did you hear that? With food and clothing, we should be content. How much food and clothing? A year supply? A lifetime supply? Lord, we should pray this way, our, our Savior says Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, make us content. Verse nine, that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. How does God change the world through his grace in our life? Here's how, verse six, first, God's grace makes us content. And some of us are hard-headed and hard-hearted. And so God doesn't want you to miss this because he he tells you twice. Verse 6, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 8, with food and clothing, with these we shall be content. So God is saying, wake up in case you missed it. So we must be people who show the world what contentment looks like. And we live in a world where it is difficult to be content. We live in a world that is difficult to be content. This word content is used here and only again in 2 Corinthians 9. And it means self-sufficiency. Because Jesus says, if you have me, you have everything. If you have Christ, you have everything. Everything. So are you showing the world what true contentment looks like? Randy Alcorn says, giving is not a luxury for the rich. It is a privilege for the poor. Giving is not a luxury for the rich. It's a privilege of the poor. And I've been guilty of that. I say, Lord, if you just give me more time, I'll serve you. Today I have 24 hours. You know how much I have tomorrow? 24 hours. And some of you have prayed, Lord, if you just help me retire, then I'll serve you. And now you're retired and you filled up the time. Some of you are young and energetic. And you say, Lord, when I get through school, I'll have more time and I'll serve you. And those who aren't young or energetic say, Lord, if I was just young, I would serve you. But see what we do? We're not content with today. Lord, if you just give me more time, if you gave me more, I would give. Lord, if you do this, then I will do. That is us saying, Lord, I'm not content with what I have. Grace says, but Josh, you need to show the world what true contentment looks like. Are you showing the world you are content? Your giving is grace on display because it shows that his grace is sufficient. My giving and my living is grace on display because it shows the world that He is everything I need. How does God change my world? Through contentment. Through contentment. Are you content? He also changes our world in this way. Verse 7 Your giving and your living is a reminder to others of your true home. Verse 8 Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare. So we need to be people who live in a way that show the world where our true home and where our true treasure is. So why should we not treasure where we live? One, because we live in a temporary mortal world. I'm reminded of that because at 2 o'clock today I will be doing a funeral. That's God's way of reminding me that, Josh, one day you'll be there. So don't treasure this because it's temporary where rust and moth will destroy. God reminds us in his word that, how do we come into the world? In the South, we say naked. Everyone here was born naked, right? And how are you gonna leave the world? Naked. And you say, well, why, why, why would you say that? Because God's word says it. Why do we need to hear that? Because God says, Josh, don't treasure that suit you have on because you weren't born with it and I'm not allowing it into heaven. It's worthless. I've made you content. This is not your home. And cancer is a a reminder that, that we live in a broken world. And floods and hurricanes are a reminder that we live in a broken world. And funerals are a reminder that we live in a broken world because God did not create you to die. That is a consequence of sin. And death should say, Lord, I long for something more, that when I look death in the face, there are answers in death that I cannot answer. And Jesus says, but Josh, I did. You want victory in death, it's in Christ. We must live in a way that tells the world, this is not our home. I do not treasure this, because if I treasure this, my heart's gonna be here. And God's word says my heart shouldn't be here, it should be with Christ. Let me remind you again, if you are a follower of Jesus, you took nothing into this world and you will take nothing out. Don't treasure it. For those of you who are wearing your crimson shirts today, you're not gonna be wearing them in heaven. And whatever color you follow, maroon, purple and gold, sometimes we think that we should put our hearts there, but God says, don't do it, Josh. He says, because that, that thing that you like right now. It's like, and I've given you desires to honor me, but you can't take that into heaven. Is that maroon shirt you wear and you love? You're not bringing it with you. We must tell the world that this is not our home. And how do we tell them? But we live it. We live it. If we tell them this world is not my home and I am desiring the same things, they will say, well, this world is your home because you desire the same thing I do. That leads me to our third point. How does God change the world in our giving and our living? One, he changes and he makes you content. You're not content, do you know Jesus. Two, he says, pastor, this world is not your home. And third, he says this in his word. Verse nine, but those who desire to be rich. Now listen what God's word does not say. He does not say those who are rich will lead into many temptations. Riches is not the problem. Actually, my prayer is that, as Wesley said, earn all you can earn, save all you can save, and give all you can for the kingdom. Oh, that God would make us all rich, that we would give it all away, that we would die poor, and that there would be no one hungry and no one not hearing the name of Jesus. But does your treasure and your time reveal to others your desire? Because God's word says, but those who desire to be rich, mm, they will fall into temptation and a snare. Because here's the reality. If you say, God, give me a million dollars, and your heart is intent on a million dollars, when you get there, you know what your desire will be? For two. And when you get to two, you know where your desire will be? For For more. Instead of saying, God, if you give me $10, I will be content. I will live in a way that honors you. And God, if you give me $10 million, I'm going to do the same. God, may our time and our treasure reveal what we desire. The Bible warns us about our desires. Look at the warning here. For, For where we put our desires, if we desire riches, we will fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. May we not desire the wrong things. Pastor, is it a wrong to have stuff? No. Is it wrong for me to live rich towards myself and poor towards God? Absolutely. God, help us desire a way. So my question to you is this if we paraded our families and our neighbors on this stage and we said, neighbors, you've you've watched pastor. He's lived with you for about 10 months. Tell us what he desires by the way he lives. That would be a scary day, wouldn't it? Because some of us would say, well, I desire God. But the way we live says otherwise. Oh, that we would live in a way that my neighbors and our community would see. Those Christians are different. I can't put my finger on it, but they don't desire the thing, same things. And they don't desire the world's goods. They have them, and I can't explain it because they give everything away and they keep getting. It doesn't make sense by the world's standards. I don't understand why they keep serving. I can tell that they're exhausted when they come home, but they go check on their neighbor. They serve the widows and the orphans. I, don't, I can't explain it. Where do they get the energy? His name is Jesus. That we would desire things that are not of this world, but that we would desire and consume grace. If we do, the world will see. If they see, they will see your Savior. Lord, help us as we see you. So I ask you, as God's word asks us, then, will you take the next step? There are times in our life, and I know there are people here today that you, if you take a reflection, you say, I've not been spending my time or my treasure in a way that honors God. Maybe you've been inconsistent, and God is calling you today to be consistent. Maybe you've been consistent, but you've been holding back. You say, Lord, I'll give you a little. I'll give you a little every week, but I'll give you a little. And God says, but Josh, I haven't held anything back for you. Not even my son. So what gives you the right? And may we step up today and say, God, make me faithful. Lord, even if it hurts me, Father, if I had to sacrifice, Lord, I am willing to do it because of the sacrifice you made for me. Will you take a step in faith today that the world may see your contentment that the world may see your treasure, that the world may see your home, and that they would come to us and say, why do you hope? You know, God's word says this, be ready in and out of season and be ready to give a e- reason for the hope that is within you. And John Piper said it this way, and it convicted me to my core. He said, maybe the reason people aren't asking you about your hope is because they don't see it in your life. Hmm. You know why that hurts? Because it's right. Because the world sees us treasuring the same things. The world sees Christians who don't wanna sacrifice and don't wanna give. And they say, if that's what following Jesus is about, I don't want it. And may we be people that say, Lord, it starts today. And Lord, if I can just change my neighborhood, what I'm gonna change by the way I live and by the way I give for your honor and for your glory. Maybe you're here today and we spent the majority of our time speaking about giving. And you say, well, I'm not even a Christ follower. I I tuned you out 39 minutes ago. Well, let me tell you about a gift that you don't deserve. Because we started with this. It is by grace you have been saved through faith not of yourself, it is, a, it is a gift. And I just want to share my heart as this, if you have not received the gift of eternal life. he you say, well, when I get cleaned up, when I go to church enough, when I know enough, then I'll follow. The Bible actually says in Romans 5, 8, that he proved his love in this way. While you and I were still sinners, that he died for us. He didn't say that, When you look good and when you smell nice and when you got your church best on, he died. Jesus says that when you and I were mocking him on the cross, he looked at us and said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And that's why I'm dying. You have never received the gift of eternal life, it is here. It is offered, receive it this morning. Do not miss a chance to respond. Bow with me as we pray.